Thank you for downloading this episode of our podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast for Solomon Staircase Masonic Lodge number 357, where we talk about all things related with Freemasonry, including hermetic teachings, philosophy, reason, spirituality, and much more. We're located in Buena Park, Southern California. Tune in as we continue to update our podcast with informative talks and articles for Masons worldwide and those who would like to inquire within. When we think about famous Freemasons, probably the first one that should come to mind is the guy we see on every single $1 bill we handle, our first president of our United States, George Washington. So as I was looking to do another episode on famous Freemasons, I started looking through my humongous stash of magazines and amazing how many articles there are. So I'm going to share several articles from several different magazines about George Washington. Hope you enjoy. This first article is from the Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry, Southern Jurisdiction, USA, February 1999 edition, and is called Washington's Message is Roman by Stephen J. Trachtenberg, 33rd degree Grand Cross, president of the George Washington University. Like Washington, we must contribute a portion of our energies and wealth to masonry and America. To many in Europe and Great Britain, George Washington seemed to step out of Roman history. In the 18th century, educated people on both sides of the Atlantic conducted much of their training in Latin, which, in turn, communicated what I will call the great myth of the Roman Republic. Before the Caesars had stepped into place, this myth declared that Roman power rested on the shoulders of citizens who were the first farmers and then warriors. When the Republic was threatened, they temporarily abandoned their plows in order to stand against the enemy. But no sooner had their heroism achieved the fruits of victory than they hastened back to their plows, hanging their armor on the wall until it was needed again. To an almost eerie extent, George Washington matched this ideal. He had no wish, he once declared, beyond that of living and dying an honest man on my own farm. With great reluctance, he slowly determined to bow to public opinion and become the first president of a new nation. He was so agitated delivering his first inaugural address that spectators could see him shaking. For those in Europe who favored the American rebels, Washington's passion for farming, combined with his triumph over the British Empire, made him nothing less a, than a Roman Republican reborn. A most suitable companion for such worthies of Roman history as Horatius, who single-handedly defended a key bridge against the entire Etruscan army. And to the extent that Washington shared the Roman passion for self-discipline, the stoic note of the Roman character, he also served as a crucial model for American society, which was still defining its ideas of responsible behavior. Sometimes, when you read popular accounts of American history, Washington comes across as someone who differed in dramatic ways from the other founding fathers. He had actually risked his own life on the battlefield. He took only a step or two in the direction of political discourse, in contrast to those countless communications between founding fathers like Jefferson, Adams, Hamilton, and their peers, who helped to reason out the details of our Constitution, including the Bill of Rights. But if we focus on the issue of political power, then we recognize what a contribution Washington made. His life demonstrated that the ancient lust for power could and should be controlled. Some Americans thought Washington should serve as a king rather than a president. 
Yet having proven his success as a military commander, he left the circles of influence, returned to civilian life, and seemed to lose even the smallest appetite for a triumphant power. He responded with dignified reluctance to appeals that he serve as our first president. Nor, once in office, did he acquire a passion for power. He presented himself and treated himself as a public servant of the common good. Washington really seemed to feel that the brand new American nation had a right to demand some hard work from him. And for those who were inclined to cast him as a hero of the Roman Republic reborn, he served as a reminder that the Republic was in fact followed by an empire and that the empire defended itself not with farmers briefly donning their armor, but mainly with mercenary troops. America was going Rome one better. Its first president was teaching all of his successors that excessive concentration of power, whether in an institution or an individual, was just not American. All of this helps us to understand more clearly why Washington, like so many of his colleagues and companions, was a member of the Masonic Fraternity, and why the laying of the cornerstone of the Washington Monument on July 4, 1848 took place in a Masonic ceremony. What the craft represented in the 18th century were ideals of enlightenment and rationality, ideals that automatically enraged the tyrants of Europe, but attempts at persecuting Freemasons turned out to be the very best way of producing more Freemasons. There was a deep affinity between the spirit of Freemasonry and the rising spirit of American democracy. What people so treasured in George Washington was a personal style that was also a political style, and both of these were fully compatible with his decision to become a Mason, a decision made by so many of his colleagues. As a major landowner in Virginia and the husband of one of the wealthiest women in Virginia, Washington could easily have become a worshiper of his own power. He could have embarked on tumultuous tours of Western Europe where nations would have struggled for the right way to pay him homage. He could have even produced, with a few secretaries to help him, a series of books that would have added to his fortune even as they provided American school children with primers filled from top to bottom with virtue. Instead, Washington displayed all the true Stoic virtues that the Roman Republic pioneered, the willingness, above all, to accept a life of careful simplicity made up far more of duty and responsibility than of luxury and self-display. When we get through admiring our first president, we still have to ask ourselves how many of the values he embodied are still playing a role in our lives today. I'd like to suggest that when we are seeking Washington's longest lasting influence on our nation, we should look in an unusual place. What is often vaguely described as volunteering, one of those most famous passages in Alexis de Tocqueville's Democracy in America is the one in which he describes how often Americans, as they settle on what was then the national frontier, established voluntary associations of different kinds. To this day, you can't approach a medium-sized American town without learning all about the many different clubs and societies that are performing good deeds for their community outside of any governmental structure whatsoever. Much ink has been spilled to explain why Americans have such a passion for volunteering. You can find biblical roots for this feeling. You can find others in British and European common law. You can talk about America as a selective magnet which has always attracted the kinds of immigrants ready to help in building up our new communities. Or you can even use George Washington, that commander-in-chief and president of volunteers, as a way of looking back to the ancient Roman Republic, which depended on volunteers in order to keep itself in existence. Once again, you'll see the parallels within the Masonic Order. One thing is certain about every Mason who has ever lived. That Mason didn't join because of a summons from the government, 
Rather, he made a rational choice with regard to the areas of life in which voluntary behavior made the most sense. In a sense, he was making the kind of decision George Washington himself made when he left the quiet and security of his home at Mount Vernon in order to fight with an empire and then rule those who had rebelled against it. Washington embodied the notion of a society made up of individuals with sacred and inalienable rights. Each American is in a certain sense a nation unto himself or herself. Now these millions of sovereign entities actually have to work out a way of getting along with each other, of accepting each other's individuality, and of competing in an international economy. That task is almost impossible, yet somehow we have to do it each and every day. In a sense, we recreate the United States of America every time we climb out of bed in the morning and go off to work or do a purely voluntary task that only makes our community a better place to live. When we, as Americans and Freemasons, celebrate the Masonic laying of the cornerstone of the Washington Monument, we are saying that even the monument which so dominates the skyline of the District of Columbia is not an excessive tribute to our first president. We are also saying that so many years of service as a national icon have not eliminated Washington's meaning for the country he helped so significantly to found. Washington is us. We are Washington. And we are most of all Washington when we look around us, as Americans and Masons, for the causes to which we want to contribute voluntarily a portion of our energy and our wealth. That is Brother Washington's legacy to us. That is his message, Roman and American, by which we must all live, if we are like Washington, to benefit our country and honor our craft. The following article is from the October 1999 Scottish Rite Journal of Freemasonry, Southern Jurisdiction, USA. The title of this article is George Washington, A Man Sent from God, by Bishop Carl J. Standers, 33rd Degree Grand Cross. George Washington came as close as anyone in our history to being the indispensable man. Isaiah sat in church one day, but apparently his mind was not on the sermon. You do not have to stretch your imagination too far to know some people are in church with their minds elsewhere. Some are thinking of the week ahead, and others are catching up on their sleep. A good sermon helps people in different ways. Some, because they listen, rise greatly strengthened. Others, because they sleep, rise greatly refreshed. The burden upon Isaiah's mind was the plight of his country. The peril was a powerful enemy sweeping everything before it, and his land was next on the agenda. The turmoil was made greater by the sudden death of the king, leaving the land without leadership. In that setting, Isaiah heard the challenge and made his answer, Here I am, send me. In another land and another century, colonial America was in trouble. Driven without mercy or relief by the powers of Great Britain, faced with the most powerful army and navy in the world, what could thirteen separate colonies do? They could fight, and the battle at Lexington and Concord had already been reported. The Second Continental Congress meeting in May 1775 did two things. It voted to establish a colonial army of 20,000 troops, and it elected George Washington as commander-in-chief. Washington did not seek the job. It was treason in the eyes of the crown. But, like Isaiah, he said in substance, Here I am, send me. For six years he fought with never enough troops, never enough equipment, never enough uniforms, never enough food, never enough money. Victory came at Yorktown, Virginia in 1781, and the legacy he left is best summed up in the words of General Henry Lighthouse Harry Lee, 
in a funeral oration upon the death of Washington, first in war, first in peace, and first in the hearts of his countrymen. This legacy was built upon his unconquerable faith in America, a new nation under God. This nation was born of an idea, the idea of freedom. Go back and read again Fred Kleinneck's little volume, Anchor of Liberty. Listen to him as he speaks of the pilgrims who came seeking religious freedom, the peasants who came seeking economic freedom, the minorities who came seeking cultural freedom, and the workers who came seeking individual freedom. The great American dramatist Maxwell Anderson describes a moving experience in his play Valley Forge. Hope was at a low level. Some of Washington's men came to him and said they could not go on. Without hope and without food fit to eat, they must leave. Others had already gone, deserting a desperate cause. Almost half the army was sick, the winter was cold, the outlook bleak. Washington spoke to his disheartened men. What I fight for now is a dream, a mirage perhaps, something that has never been on this earth since man first worked it with his hands, something that has never existed and never will exist unless we make it and put it here. The right of freeborn men to govern themselves in their own way. If we have lost interest in this cause, we have lost our war, lost it completely. And the men we have left lying on our battlefields died for nothing whatever, for a dream that came too early and may never come true. We mark time here, gentlemen, and there is much to do. Then after pausing and looking around at his men, he went out. They did not leave. Whatever may have been their doubts, Washington's faith rallied their courage and their loyalty held. Who was this man, George Washington, after whom our national capital is named, plus one state, 33 counties, 22 cities and towns, seven mountains, nine colleges, and 121 post offices in the United States? More than any other single individual, he, as the commander-in-chief of the American forces, was responsible for our victory in the Revolutionary War. More than any other single individual, he, as the first president of the United States, gave stability and character to an infant nation seeking its place in the family of nations. Furthermore, Washington's faith gave hope and courage to others in the greatest ordeal of their lives. While the colonials fought the Battle of Long Island, the Continental Congress adopted the Declaration of Independence on July 4, 1776. Fifty-six men signed the Declaration, knowing it was treason in the eyes of the Crown. Each man knew he was not only signing away the safety and security of himself, but that of his family. His possessions and his life were on the line, but not a man hesitated. Retaliation came quickly. Nine died of wounds or hardship. Five were imprisoned under brutal treatment. Twelve had their homes burned, and, note it well, any one of these men could have turned back any time he chose. Immunity was offered, rewards of money promised, restoration of homes and release of family guaranteed. But history records with pride that not a single one of them wavered. They were not saints, but for their dedication to a cause, for their commitment to a country, they will never be forgotten. This nation has never known their equal before or since. Finally, Washington's greatest legacy is his character. His decisions might have been questioned, but not his character. It happened in Newburgh, New York on 1783. Unsigned papers began circulating through the camp, suggesting that anarchy and chaos were overwhelming America. The army intended to use bayonets to take over civil government and crown Washington king. And why not? In a world of kings, why should not George Washington also be a king? Ignoring Washington's authority, one paper announced a mass meeting of officers. 
The commander-in-chief expressed deep regret regarding such an illegally called meeting and summoned a meeting of his own for Saturday, March 15, 1783. This was probably the most important single gathering ever held in the United States. Suppose, as seemed only too possible, Washington should fail to prevent military intervention in a civil government. Washington gave a prepared speech, but his audience did not seem truly moved. He remembered that he had brought with him a reassuring letter from a congressman. He pulled the paper from his pocket, and then something appeared to go wrong. The general seemed confused. He stared at the paper helplessly. The officers leaned forward, their hearts contracting with anxiety. Washington pulled from his pocket something only his intimates had seen him wear, a pair of eyeglasses. Gentlemen, he said, you will permit me to put on my spectacles, for I have not only grown gray, but almost blind in the service of my country. This humble act and simple statement did what all Washington's arguments failed to do. The hardened soldiers wept and abandoned their plan to impose military rule. Washington had saved the United States from tyranny and civil discord. If anyone tries to sum up the significance of Washington's career in a single word, that word might well be character. It was character that carried him at the age of 21 across hundreds of miles through bitter cold, snow, and sleet, and past Indian ambushes, bringing a message from Governor Dinwiddie to the French. It was character that made him fight on in the revolution when a large percentage of the American people were against the cause for which he stood, and when all 13 of the colonies failed dismally to support him with men, money, weapons, and supplies. And it was character that enabled him to win the respect of the world, and to give to the position of President of the United States the dignity and prestige which it achieved during his eight years in that office. In George Washington we recognized a great, a good, a brave, and a patriotic American. Without him there would have been no victory in war, no stability in peace. He came as close as anyone in our history to being the indispensable man. He was truly that man sent from God. Beyond his military genius as a commander-in-chief of the American forces, beyond his wise and courageous leadership as the first president of the United States, beyond heavy responsibility and daily decisions of great magnitude, beyond all this is the unblemished record of this master mason whose character was his credential. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. We enjoy hearing from our listeners. If you really like what you heard, share this podcast with your friends and lodge members. Visit us online at solomonstaircase.org.